Hi, welcome to episode five of the How To Grad School podcast. My name is Sarah, and I use she, her pronouns. And I'm Becca, and I use she, her pronouns. We are coming to you today from the unceded territory of the Lekwungen peoples and the Esquimalt and Songhees nations, also known as Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Today on this episode, we'll be talking about making connections and community in grad school, answering a question from a listener about getting involved in research while doing a course-based master's degree, and sharing two hot tips for networking in grad school. So let's get started by talking a little bit about what we know about networking. So networking is the action or process of engaging with others to exchange information and develop professional or social contacts. And that definition comes from Oxford English Dictionary. This idea of networking is actually really critical during graduate school. It's something that sometimes um, graduate students don't necessarily think about. So when you go to graduate school, you think, gosh, I'm going to learn so much about my particular topic. And you don't necessarily think think about the connections and the community that you're going to make while you're in graduate school. And we know that building community and connections in grad school is one of the best things that you can do. And we've referred to this before, that all of our learning happens in social environments. And so, yes, there's a lot of learning you're doing as an individual, but you're also learning from and with other people. So I think networking is something that people can feel intimidated by or not sure where to start or how to start in grad school. When I started my PhD, networking at conferences in particular was something that I had never previously done before and certainly felt intimidated by it. So I had gone to professional conferences for the jobs that I had had. And maybe you're like me and you would look at the program for a conference and I would always see sessions on there that were labeled as networking sessions or social sessions where there often is food and drink. And prior to doing my PhD, those would be sessions I would usually avoid because I wouldn't know why you would go there or what to do or maybe I didn't know anyone else at the conference and it would feel more comfortable to go with someone else. So networking was certainly something that was very intimidating for me. Um, what about you? What was your yeah, experience like? I mean, I think that that, um, that example of the social hour at a conference and kind of what you do at that social hour is a really interesting one because I know definitely the first conference that I went to, I definitely went with fellow graduate students to like from my lab to that social hour and we sat around in a group and we had like a drink together and it was it was a nice thing to do but I don't it didn't help me to like expand my social network or meet other academics in my field and I think it does take time the first conference you go to you probably will sit with the people that you know and it'll probably take a little bit of time to kind of become more comfortable but by the end of my master's degree when I went to um to conferences, um, I often did try to kind of at least speak to a couple of different people at those um, social hours. And and that was a great way to meet other graduate students at other universities or um, also meet sometimes other professors from other universities and kind of start to, to hear about what else is going on in the, um, the field that I was in, in, in different places. And I would say talking to other graduate students is a really like easy way to get started because those graduate students who they're still in their studies and they obviously like are, um, are kind of at the same place as you but five years from now they're going to be your peers who are working in the field and knowing those people will help you later on. 
And I think that we're talking about conferences, which is kind of the main place that I associated networking with. But especially over the last few years, we've seen some changes to conferences that I think I have been very excited for because conferences can be prohibitively expensive for graduate Mm -hmm. students to attend. Many grad students have responsibilities or other commitments that make traveling for work not possible for them. Mm -hmm. And I think that now there seem to be at least some more hybrid options. I know I'm attending a conference this year where some of the sessions will be in person. This will be the first in-person conference I'm going to since 2019. But I know that there are sessions that are hybrid, which means you would be an in-person component and an online component. And I think that for inclusivity and accessibility, I really hope that that continues because conferences can be very important for grad students. But there's also a lot of other aspects of networking that are really important for uh, you to consider in grad school that can be tailored to what you need and what you're looking to get out of those interactions. Yeah. And to just jump back briefly to this idea of online conferences, I think sometimes we think that networking is something that can only happen in person. But I work in the online learning space, and it's definitely possible to build community and connections online. Um, And I've been to online conferences where I have met people and then um, interacted with them later, either online or occasionally in person, um, because of the way that um, the conference has set up kind of the online communication channels. It's still possible to network and meet people in an online conference. And that actually, I think, takes us really nicely to um, the tips that we have, which are um, for networking as a graduate student. Um, And they come from the Beyond the Professoriate blog post on this topic. Um, And I'm going to pass it over to Sarah to give us our first tip. So the first one is using academic Twitter, which is something that I definitely started using a couple of years into my PhD because Twitter was not something that I had really used before. But in going to conferences, seeing that many of the academics around me were on Twitter in order to share information about what research they're doing, what conferences are coming up, information about grants and scholarships, information about Um, PhD positions or postdoc positions. And so I found that there were conversations that were being had on academic Twitter that were continuing from these conferences, from these um, peers and colleagues that I was meeting that aren't really replicated in other spaces. So I created a um, Twitter account Haven't really been super active on there, but I do enjoy going on there. And I felt that especially at the time when I still wasn't sure what I wanted to do after my PhD, I was really pleasantly surprised by the number of kind of postdoc positions or even um, positions in academia that are kind of advertised or promoted by the people who are trying to hire or trying to recruit colleagues to their universities. So I think that this is a really valuable source for grad students to be interacting on a more regular basis um, using social media. Yeah, and that point about positions being posted. um, So I I will say I've talked briefly about um, the PhD that I had intended to pursue before um, the pandemic occurred and before I had some health problems, which I haven't been able to pursue. But um, that PhD 
uh, position I actually think found on um, on academic Twitter. So a professor had posted saying that his research group was looking for a set of PhD students. And so um, and I had fo- started following that professor because I had encountered them at a conference. So there's all these like little connections and like the people that you know and the people that you meet, even if you don't necessarily have long conversations with them, you might be able to connect in a different way later or they may come up um, in some way and you can say like, oh, I've met you or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and I think that also on academic Twitter, you get to read the experiences of people who did not proceed to working in academia and seeing what other job titles are out there that someone with your background or with your master's degree or a PhD have done. And then they post job posts for working with private or public um, institutions that was very educational for me to see the range of jobs out there that someone with my particular background could be eligible for that I would have never discovered if I hadn't been exposed to that information on academic Twitter. Yeah, so that's a, a really interesting point, Sarah, this piece of looking for jobs that are outside of academia. So um, when I went to a conference as maybe a first or second year graduate student, I actually went to a session which was talking about jobs outside of academia. And I thought that that um, particular session was super interesting to he- to see at an academic conference, but also super valuable because it made me start to think like, I might not be pursuing a career in academia. I might be pursuing a career kind of in the outside um, in the outside world. Um, so that example kind of from an academic conference brings us to the next tip that we have, which is to try to attend academic conferences. And we've talked a lot about academic conferences already. But you can go to um, international, national, local conferences. And at all of those conferences, either online, hybrid, or in person, you're going to encounter other people that are working and thinking in the space that you're currently working and thinking. And the connections that you make at those conferences can have wider ripples and repercussions. So for example, um, the two of us, we actually met a group at a conference um, that we ended up writing a paper with them. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. Hopefully you do. It was my first published paper. It was very exciting. What conference were we at? That was in uh, Finland in 2017. Yeah. So the kind of those pieces that we just met this group at the conference um, and we connected in about doing kind of a participant involved research project and we were able to then publish a paper and that was was a great opportunity, something awesome to have on our, our resumes. So academic conferences. Yeah. And I think that there are another part that can be really helpful for academic conferences. I know for sure that two of the conferences that I attended that were both international conferences, they had funding for graduate students who were members of their associations that paid for the travel and accommodation and conference fees. So this is something that you know, in doing some long-term planning and talking to your advisor and other peers is asking them which conferences have opportunities that I can go to that where they maybe provide some funding so that you can attend. And I think that there are plenty of associations out there that are trying and that understand that grad students often are financially limited for attending these conferences. But they really offer invaluable opportunities to connect with other grad students and uh, professors. And those professional associations, not only do they have um, 
funding opportunities for, for graduate students. They also provide kind of a space where um, you might get involved in conversations online or you might find um, blog posts online from that professional association that might um, help you kind of move forward in your career. So definitely professional associations are another place where you should pursue making connections and developing community. Joining a professional association can also be beneficial as a grad student because you can volunteer to be a grad student representative, which means you get to work with grad students and professors from across Canada on things around activities at conferences or newsletters or website or anything like that. And again, those are other valuable networking opportunities. These pieces that we've been talking about are kind of outside of the university. So obviously that you're attending. So academic Twitter, academic conferences, professional associations, those are kind of more outward facing opportunities to develop community and connections. But there are also ways that you could develop community and connections kind of on campus. And so one um, tip that was in the Beyond the Professoriate blog post that we've been referencing is to take um, different classes on campus. Campus. So not just take classes within your particular um, small little department, but to try to kind of get out there and take other um, classes. And by doing that, you'll be able to meet graduate students from other parts of the university, and you'll also be able to meet professors from other parts of the university. And those professors might um, end up being useful for your committee, or they might bring another perspective to, um, to your research. And this um, idea of kind of interdisciplinary research has become really big and important kind of over the last um, few years. And um, we don't want to be siloed. We want information to kind of flow freely between um, between different groups. And the last category is really exploring what are the on-campus resources that are available to you that help with some of those networking skills. So in Canada, we have a program called MyTax. It offers a variety of professional development workshops. Many of them are online right now. So you can go to their website and see what's available. They're online and they're free. We also have graduate student societies. So those are specific uh, organizations that help advocate for grad students. They often are the ones that are facilitating any sort of extended benefits. Um, they might be working on raising fees or any issues that you're having on campus, organizing social events, speakers, talks. You can often volunteer to be board members for those groups. And you also have the career center or writing centers. So these are really resources that can sometimes help you focus on skills. They can help you identify and set goals. But again, you're also meeting with a variety of different people, and that can offer different perspectives for you when you are pursuing some of these skills. Yeah, and uh, kind of this piece about on-campus resources, there's also different events that happen on campus that you might want to attend in order to kind of build your community and develop connections. Um, so for example... When I was a graduate student, I attended our graduate student orientation. And um, at our graduate student orientation, I met one person who I ended up becoming quite close with. And through that one person, I met another person who, I, who I've also become good friends with. Um, and But um, in addition to being friends with those people, so having kind of personal connections with them, um, years later, a job came up um, at the place where I worked, which was really, um, really appropriate for the second girl that I had met. And I ended up connecting her with um, with the job and she ended up kind of working she works with me now um, so that one small connection or the the kind of cascade of connections through that 
graduate student orientation led to a full-time job for for this person later in their career. And so I think that um, it's important to know that the networking that you're doing now, it might seem kind of small and inconsequential, but um, those connections and the people that you meet later on, they're the people that are in your professional sphere and could mention a job to you or could kind of suggest something to you that would be helpful. And I think that when we're talking about networking, even going back to that definition that we talked about, is that it doesn't have to be something that is just always formal or you're trying to sell yourself for a job or learn about jobs or things like that, but that there is that social contact piece, which we know is really important for grad students and even some of these tips in talking about looking at on-campus resources or taking different classes, I think some of the things that they're actually talking about are making friends with grad students that are maybe outside of your department or faculty so that you can see, wow, okay, many grad students are struggling with issues that I am, but they're not necessarily in my department, but it can help you get a different perspective about some of the challenges that you're facing. And then you find out that they're facing some challenges in their faculty or department that you are not experiencing in yours. So it can offer some perspective on your experience that can be hard to get if you are tending to just kind of keep to yourself and not really socialize or meet other grad students. Yeah, and even that piece of um, wider perspectives, um, if you meet people that are outside of your department, outside of your discipline, um, they can be a support that perhaps those that are inside your discipline and inside your kind of um, specific classes couldn't be. Like, um, it's nice to, to, to talk to someone who's outside of the situation. So for our listener question today, I'm starting a course-based master's in the fall. I'm also interested in doing research in grad school since I did part-time research in my undergrad and loved it, but I didn't love it to the point where I'd do a PhD. There is a highly competitive thesis I could apply to in the master's, but at the same time, I'm not sure what the workload will be like for my program. So my question is, how can I make the most of my course-based master's and get the best of both worlds? How can I manage both research and community-based learning, and should I focus on one over the other? Where do I even start? Any insight would be appreciated. So to kind of jump in on this, making the most of your course-based masters, um, I think, uh, and getting the best of both worlds, so having some opportunities to do some research, I think that um, there are a wide variety of different activities that can be considered research. Um, and research doesn't have to be that traditional kind of writing an academic paper, um, doing like an experiment in the way that we kind of think about it. Um, research is really um, gathering knowledge for the purpose of like disseminating it. I mean, that's not necessarily like a good definition, but that's kind of a, a, an abbreviated definition. And I think that there are a variety of different ways that um, one could do research. So for example, as part of my master's degree, I was a, a I did a co-op a term. I did two terms of a co-op, and in my co-op um, job, one thing that I did was I ran pilot projects for um, educational technology. Um, so I would gather information on the educational technology that um, we were going to implement. I would prepare an implementation strategy. I would deploy the implementation, and then I would kind of meet with um, participants after to evaluate how well that had gone. So that wasn't like traditional academic research, but I was using the research skills that I had. So I think that looking for different opportunities that where you could do research type activities um, is, is a place to start. 
And I think that I really liked that this listener wrote that they did part-time research in their undergrad and they loved it. And so it kind of makes me wonder, well, what type of research were you doing and why do you think you loved it? And the clue may be a little bit that it was part time Mm -hmm. or it could have been, you know, maybe working with an individual professor or helping out a research lab or maybe doing a little bit of research in a lab where you're being mentored by grad students. So I think figuring out kind of what the parts are of research that you really enjoy So for me, the parts of research that I really enjoy really are the collaboration with other people. I really like the sharing of ideas, being curious, being interested in, coming up with questions. You know, how are we going to collect this data? I really like all of those parts, but I find that it's the connections that I make with other people that make me really like doing research the most. What I think this listener is asking is maybe involving some reflection on your own part as to what you really like, because there can be a lot of parts of research that um, involve you looking at Excel spreadsheets for hours and hours and hours and doing data entry and doing other parts that, you know, may be exciting to some people, may be very boring to others. Mm -hmm. Some people find collaborating with others on research to be frustrating and to have a lot of barriers other people really like it. So I think trying to break down what it is exactly that you liked about that research could be a first place to start. Yeah, and once you have identified kind of the research actions that you enjoy, looking for opportunities to do those things. So it could be that you take a particular class where um, you have more opportunities to engage in that type of activity. It might be looking for a part-time job where you can engage in that type of activity or um, sometimes there's uh, research assistantships with a particular like lab on campus that you might be able to do as a job or as a volunteer opportunity depending on your situation. Uh, you might be able to find opportunities to, to do small contracts like if you really enjoy preparing um, surveys like there's always people that are looking for for graduate students to build surveys and survey tools and deploy those surveys um, so I think it's really figuring out what it is you like and then looking for the opportunities to do those types of things and maybe recognizing that as a course-based master's student um, you probably have a particular set of courses that you are expected to do in a particular amount of time but maybe there's some flexibility there and maybe it's taking one less class each semester so that you can devote some time to research, or maybe it is taking a semester off so that you could do some sort of research um, opportunity. I think that there doesn't also have to be really a distinction between what this listener is asking between research and community-based learning, because there are a lot of opportunities to combine both of those. So I know when I was doing my PhD, I wasn't at a point where I could take this course But there was a course that was offered where you were doing research in conjunction with the provincial government. And that was a course that had I been at a different stage in my PhD, I definitely would have taken because, again, not only are you getting opportunities to network with someone who's working for the provincial government, but you're also participating in hands-on research that could eventually affect policy or other aspects that are more practical than sometimes academic research can contribute to. And going back to something that you said, Becca, about, you know, being involved with research, again, it's being strategic as to what works for you. I think there tend to be opportunities to volunteer your time to do research. And I think that that really requires some thinking because you want to make sure that that is going to benefit you in some way. 
So if you're just, if you're volunteering and you're okay with that and you've chosen to do that, what can you get out of that? So can you get a co-authorship on either a conference paper or on a manuscript for publication? Because that would be the common thing that I think you should be getting if you are volunteering your time. But I also like the idea of getting maybe a part-time job doing it or something like that. So again, you kind of have set times that you're prioritizing based on the demands of your course-based masters. That's a really good point because I mentioned the idea of volunteering, but I'm I definitely encourage our listeners to advocate for themselves and make sure that they're being compensated um, appropriately. I think that graduate students sometimes get taken advantage of, and um, I wouldn't want that to happen to any of our listeners. Um, And compensation um, could be money, but it could also be um, something like you were mentioning, like having your name on a conference paper. You want to make sure that everything that you're doing, you get value out of, and you're able to show that value, and it kind of develops you as a person. It contributes to your resume. It contributes to the the packages of experience that you have that you can then use um, when you're applying to to other jobs saying like, oh, look, like I've done these things. Um, Yeah, you want to be really strategic. You don't just want to be working for nothing, right? Mm -hmm. And again, for this listener, I think that the other thing to take into consideration is what are your ideas for what you're planning on doing with your master's degree? If you're upgrading skills and staying in a consistent job, you know, are there opportunities for you to incorporate research into your job if you had a master's degree that had research experience? So it could be talking to current supervisors or managers at your job, you know, seeing how research could fit in there. Are there research opportunities in a current job that you have that can kind of complement what you're doing? Or as we've always said, talking to students who have either been through this program or who are currently in this program to see what they have done with this situation or talking to professors that are teaching the classes that you will be taking to talk to them about what research opportunities are out there so that you can balance both of those things for you. Yeah. And this piece about talking to the people in your um, route, like your sphere, and the idea of talking to people that you have connections with is, is super important. Like, for example, in when I started my um, graduate degree in the first semester, I had a class with a particular professor. And I mentioned to that professor that I was interested in doing some research. Um, and then later on um, in the semester, um, the professor like reached out to me to say that um, in the coming semester, they had a research assistantship available. And I so I was able to to start doing research um, with this professor and I got paid for it. And the reason that that happened is because I mentioned I was interested in a class. And so um, kind of mentioning your goals and priorities to those people that can maybe help you move forward is, is important. And I think that that brings up this important piece where sometimes these research uh, assistantships are not formally advertised. Yeah. They are often at the discretion of the professor who has the research money to spend. Um, You know, it will depend on what field you're in, of course, what university you're at, things like that. So that's where talking to your professors can be helpful and other grad students who are further along in the program or who have finished because often there are opportunities that are not advertised. And so how can you put yourself in a position where people know that you're interested and people know who you are so that you can be considered for those situations when they come up. 
And, you know, ideally, we would like there to be a lot of transparency with how people are getting hired, how much money are people getting paid, all of that. But again, that might vary so much by university to university, making sure that your professors know who you are, that other students know who you are and what you're interested in, especially because you are wanting to combine research and community-based learning. That is really going to put you in the best situation so that you can hear about opportunities and then make your decisions from there. So when I think about kind of how these research opportunities are often um, uh, word of mouth, I do think that um, for some listeners, it may be really difficult to reach out to a professor to say, hi, like this is what I'm interested in. Um, having the ability to do that and feeling comfortable doing that is kind of a very privileged position. And so that's something that I do keep in mind um, for those listeners that don't feel like they have the power to, to speak up in class or don't feel like that they can say something to a professor. Um, there may be some other avenues for you to pursue, like sending an email to the professor it might be a way to kind of get a conversation started, um, maybe Talking to other graduate students is also another way to um, to find out about opportunities because maybe another graduate student's heard about an opportunity that they can't take up. Um, even reaching out to kind of the front desk people at your department, they kind of know what's happening in um, within the department. They know about which professors have money. They know about which professors are looking for people, and they might be able to put in a good word. So I think um, knowing that if you're nervous or shy to say hello to a professor, there may be some other ways to kind of go about um, connecting. I really agree with you that sometimes there can be this position of privilege to be in, to be offered these types of positions or even be in those circumstances, because I guess we don't know if this listener is doing an online pro, an mm -hmm. online master's or an in-person. And I know that some of the grad students that I've been working with in the last couple of years who are doing an online master's degree, they're never interacting with anyone. They're not having... You know, they might be attending a class, but, you know, everyone has their cameras off, so they're not right. really meeting their peers and, you know, kind of minimal interactions with the professors. So it can be hard to even know, well, kind of like this listener says, like, where do I even start? And so I think you gave some great ideas for that. And the one that I would add is going to professors' office hours. They usually have opportunities for you to arrange a meeting or they might have set office hours that you can attend. And you don't have to sell yourself or talk about all these things. You can go just to talk about assignments in the class or talk about what you're enjoying about the class or if you're having a challenge with something or you have other ideas that you want to share. Because especially now that I'm on the other end in working as an instructor, those are some of the best times that I get to know my students are when they come to office hours and I get to have either one-on-one -on -one conversation or a small group conversation. Yeah, and I can't say that this is necessarily 100% true for all professors and all instructors, but my experience in the past has been that professors and instructors are very excited to talk to their students. They, they want you to say hello because it makes their day. Yeah, you. I always enjoy it when I have students that are coming to my office hours or the ones that stay after class and have conversations or questions about an upcoming assignment or an exam or anything like that because it's a way for you, again, to just have a little bit of a different interaction with them than as a student in the class. Yeah. So I think we're going to jump straight into our hot tips today for building um, community and connections. We have two hot tips today. So the first one is to start making a career development plan right when you are starting grad school or if you're listening to this and you are currently in grad school, 
it's a great time to start developing uh, your plan for what you want to do with your career. And so we'll put a link in the show notes of one that I really like, but a career development plan is basically helping you identify what are some of your career-focused goals. So it could vary from you know what type of job you want, and so you might start collecting job descriptions so that you can figure out how to get the most out of grad school in terms of specific skills that are required for jobs. It could be specific software that you need to be using, specific experiences, or you might be more open at the beginning of a graduate degree and you're not really sure what kind of jobs are out there. So maybe you want to work on developing certain skills that you have so that you can give yourself the most options once you're done with grad school. Yeah, and on that example career development plan um, that you're we're planning on sharing, it talks about the idea of identifying mentors um, within um, kind of university degree and trying to connect with those mentors and find out from them what they would do in order to move forward or kind of gather specific experiences from them. So looking for those people um, that you can connect with. Exactly. And I think mentors are such an important part of being in grad school, whether that is a formal mentoring relationship such as your advisor, but it can also be informal mentoring arrangements such as through um, a job that you have, or it could be a peer can be a mentor or someone else who's working on the university. But it's basically trying to be strategic and making sure that you are considering how your master's degree or your PhD will be helping you with a career afterwards, because that tends to be something that a lot of graduate programs don't really focus on. And depending on your university, Um, My experience has been that the Career Center often has a little bit more of a focus on undergraduate students. So this can be a little bit of a gap, but I think there's plenty of things that you can do to make sure that you're prioritizing your own. Yeah. And I think more universities are starting to recognize um, that there's a need for um, for them to help students identify how their um, studies are contributing to future careers. And there's a little bit of a movement towards kind of building that career development into graduate studies. But that's not universal. That's not at all universities. That's not the same across all even countries. Like we, I see this in different countries where it's like built in a little bit better than in others. So um, if your university is not helping you to do this, then you should be doing it for yourself. Yep. And it can be, again, it can be a great way to meet other grad students and talk to them because it could be something that you work on with some of your peers where you check in maybe every six months to hold each other accountable as you're aiming to reach these goals. The second hot tip is around specific skills that you are likely developing in grad school that can help you when you are searching for jobs that may be academic jobs or non-academic jobs. So the University of Alberta has a great resource that we'll link to in the session notes where they identify 10 skills that grad students in most programs are developing over the course of their degree. And so we're just going to talk briefly about four of them. But um, the first one is communication and interpersonal skills. I think that this one gets overlooked a lot because we don't necessarily articulate it or have like a quantitative way of measuring how you are improving your communication or interpersonal skills. But a lot of being in grad school is collaborating and working with other people, especially if you're aiming for the academic route with publishing. And so 
this is a really relevant part of the skills you're gaining in grad school. The next example is critical and creative thinking skills. And so as you are um, working on a particular piece of um, work, um, you are obviously developing those skills at deciding kind of what needs to go into that, what needs to not be included. Um, you are putting a product together on your own in a way that you probably didn't have the chance to do in undergraduate. And you're deciding what's important, what's not important, and how can I present this in a way that's um, way that's valuable and useful to, to the community. And so those pieces of critical and creative thinking skills is definitely being developed in your graduate degree. And it's something that's needed in the workforce once you exit. So finding ways to, um, to demonstrate that as you move forward. And the third skill that we're going to talk about is research management, which if you are in a course-based master's, you may not necessarily consider as to what you're doing as being research management. Maybe it would fall more under the terms of project management if it's course-based. But research management skills are very valuable. And the software and the tools that people are using, they change quite uh, often, depending on, you know, new statistical methods and all of those aspects from coding to using artificial intelligence. So I think research management is a really important skill to articulate how you have developed those various skills in grad school. And the last one is um, knowledge mobilization. That piece of knowing how to disseminate research and disseminate knowledge products is um, super critical both as you are in your graduate school because you're obviously developing that in the publications that you prepare, in the coursework that you prepare. But then also it's really critical to be able to demonstrate that you can do that once you leave um, academia because knowledge mobilization is something that happens in probably every single job in some way or another. And I think this podcast is, is an example of Becca and I trying to engage with knowledge mobilization and explaining and talking about things that we know from educational psychology and lived experience and other things. But knowledge mobilization, again, I think is one that's really important because it shows how you can take complex concepts and disseminate them in ways that are appropriate for various audiences. Mm -hmm. So I know that was something that I really worked on. Uh, in my PhD, there is there's opportunities at the university where you get a small stipend from the university to go and give presentations in the community. And I was speaking in schools, and it was very challenging for me to explain some of the research that I was doing to students who were in grade seven. Mm -hmm. And then I was also explaining it to teachers. And so that was helping me develop a lot of skills that were very challenging, but definitely very rewarding. And I'm continuing to do that today. Yeah, and kind of these skills that we're talking about, and this kind of relates to the piece that I was talking about with the career professional development plan, where um, it's not necessarily something that um, was asked of me by my university to develop a career plan. These skills are skills that you're developing in graduate school, but Perhaps during your graduate studies, no one will ask you to articulate those skills um, in a way that would be useful once you're going into a job search. Um, and a lot of us who have done graduate degrees are not going to be pursuing an academic route going forward just because there's a limited number of academic jobs. There's a limited number of PhDs. And so um, as you are going through your graduate degree, knowing that you are developing these skills and finding ways to articulate them is super critical. 
On our next episode, we'll be answering a question from a listener deciding if they want to apply to graduate school. All right. So thanks so much for listening and stay in touch. Please rate, review, and subscribe so other grad students can find out about our podcast. You can visit our website at howtogradschool.com where you can sign up for our free webinar and newsletter where we go more in depth on our podcast topics. You can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at howtogradschool. So thanks so much for listening um, and we look forward to um, chatting with you again. Thank you. 